Saturday. CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday, time for Options Action, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Coming up tonight, on so many levels, a classic pattern forming in a classic sector, healthcare. Then banking on interest rate hikes. And finally, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 with us as always, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. Let's get right to it. A change, of course, could be in store for the healthcare sector. Carter Worth of Worth Charting shows us why. Carter, what are you looking at? Well, so we know a very good week for defensives in general, staples acting well, uh, REITs and so forth. But healthcare has been a real laggard and the relative performance is starting to change. Let's look at a couple charts. The first is a two panel. That is the XLV on top, the sector ETF. It's up and to the right since uh, the pandemic low. But look at the bottom panel. Its relative performance is down and to the right. And yet we are just now starting to move above that downward trend line that's in effect for the past two years. I think that's a very important. Now, second is an all data chart, meaning we have GIC sector data going all the way back to 1989. And what this shows is, again, healthcare on top. And on the bottom is the relative performance to the S&P. And healthcare has been lagging for uh, several years to the point where it's down to that trend line that's been in effect since 1989. And each and every time it has gotten down there, it has bounced. And it is bouncing again, literally, as we speak. So two more charts, an absolute chart of XLV, setting up a good uptrend, setting up now and just moving above uh, prior tops, the beginning of a breakout. And then finally, that same chart up close and personal. There it is. It's the definition of a breakout to a new high, moving above a former high, from an instrument that's in an uptrend and has spent a bit of time consolidating before reasserting itself of late. Hmm. Stay long, be long, get long. All right. So, Mike, how do you do that? What's the trade? Yeah, so just taking a look at XLV, which is uh, the ETF that you know tracks this space. You know, one of the interesting things, one of the reasons we might actually have been seeing that underperformance for some time that Carter was pointing to is simply the fact that where the market has seen a great deal of multiple expansion in terms of valuation, XLV has not. This uh, sector index has actually seen its P.E. trend essentially sideways for several years. It's trading around 20 times earnings, maybe a little bit less. In fact, it's only the you know the largest constituent really, which is United Healthcare, which is a great company, I should say, having exhibited tremendous revenue and earnings growth very consistently, pretty much unfailingly, for about a decade now. But that's really the only one uh, that we can point to that we have seen some multiple expansion. And it's one of the reasons why I would actually favor using XLB rather than leaning towards a stock like United Health, which would normally be the course of action I would choose. The other thing I would point out is where we've seen elevated implied volatilities in a lot of areas, and some of the volatility we've seen this week would be a good reason for that. XLB actually doesn't have very high implied volatility. So I was looking at to February the 140 
148 call spread. When I was looking at that uh, earlier today, it would cost about two and a half dollars to buy that eight dollar wide uh, call spread. So this is a little bit more than we might sometimes look to spend on a call spread. But I think in this environment, it makes some sense. And this is a situation where you can risk a relatively small amount of the current level of XLV, the ETF, to make a bullish bet that goes out to February play for the kind of move that Carter's talking about here. Tony, what's your take on the trade? Yeah, I, I like this trade a lot because when you first look at the sector, it is a little concerning that underperformance that we've seen since April of 2020 is concerning to look for this on the breakout. But if you look at the weekly outperformance of this sector to the overall market, this is the strongest we've seen since the March 2020. You have to go back to June 2017 to see outperformance this particularly strong. So this, so the sector rotation we've seen into healthcare over the past two weeks, along with this breakout to new all-time highs, I do think from a timing perspective makes sense to play for the upside. And I like Mike's trade because he's using a call vertical here. That's going to limit his overall risk in this particular case to only 1.6% of the ETF's value chasing these all-time highs. But I think what's really important here is that this this ETF has been trading in a range between 125 and 137 before this breakout. That's going to project the target up to around 149 or so. That's the upper strike of his vertical spread. So he's getting about a 3 to 1 risk to reward ratio on this vertical if he if, if this breakout continues while only risking 1.6%. I think that's the most important part here about this trade. Carter, Tony talked about this range. Does that trading in that range, does it make your conviction in a breakout even stronger? Well, so if you think of the precondition before the range, that's what's important, a big uptrend. And then you get ahead of yourself and that consolidation, that range is tension as it's sort of does it go higher or is it petered out? Is it is it exhausted? And then by asserting yourself again and moving above and up and out of a range, that's typically the beginning of what is much more to come. And it projects higher and, and even to the levels that uh, Tony spoke of. All right. Well, there has been a whole lot of Fed talk lately. So you might be wondering how to position yourself if the rate hikes actually start to come. And Tony's got a way to play one bank. He says could rocket higher when rates rise. So, Tony, what are you watching? Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm looking at Bank of America, which I think is out of the major banks, the best position here for the rising interest rate environment. So if we step, if we take a step back here and first take a look at financials as a whole, the sector relative to the market really has made no progress here since January. However, we are trading near the bottom end of that range, and I'm starting to see a little bit of rotation here in the financials over the past couple of weeks, and I think it might be time to start taking a look at this. So if we take a look at Bank of America's chart here, we saw the breakout here a couple of months ago above this 43 and a half level. We've now come all the way back to retest this level as support. And I think this is an opportunity to seek some long exposure in this particular bank, especially if you take a look at the ratio of net interest uh, income to net revenues. This is really one of the highest we've seen out of the major banks. So I think this is uh, Bank of America is best exposed here to the rising interest rate environment that we are expecting over the next year or so. And but when we take a look at the options itself, Right now, options are extremely expensive. If you look at the implied volatility rank of of Bank of America, it's currently in the 66 percentile, so very expensive. So 
One of the strategies I want to utilize is one that we don't talk about a lot here on this show. It's one of what I consider one of the most underutilized income option strategies, which is a short put. So I'm going out to January and I'm going to sell the $43 put options. Now I'm able to collect about $1.21 for that put option. That's about 2.8% of the underlying stock's value. And when you sell a put option, you have the obligation to buy the stock if, this, if the stock is below that strike price, $43 by the January expiration. And just to put that income level into context, if you own this stock, you're earning about 78 cents per year in dividends. Here I'm collecting $1.21 in just 35 days. That's about 16 times the dividend yield that I'm collecting in this short put versus the dividend yield. So that's a strategy I want to take to gain potential exposure to this stock uh, over the next uh, 35 days or so. Now, I know that there are a lot of options action fans out there who also watch Fast Money before this program, and they're probably scratching their heads because, Carter, you went through this whole rigmarole about how financials, banks in particular, are basically lousy at this point, and they made relative highs to the S&P 500 seven months ago. So what do you see here for Bank of America? Right. So I I am in the camp that the banks have not uh, been worth the risk, right? It's a risk-reward, beta-adjusted relative performance game in many ways at, at the highest levels. And um, the thing about Bank America, and it has to be said, is, is Tony has singled out one that is behaving better than, than some of the others. In general, though, uh, I am not uh, a wanting to be overweight or specifically uh, embracing individual uh, financials and, and banks in particular, banks and brokers. So, Mike, you're sort of a tiebreaker here. <laughs> what do you make of Bank of America and the trade? Uh, so, you know, I mean, take a look at Bank of America. I mean, its, it's valuation isn't uh, incredibly high. I mean, if we just take a look at it's probably 13, 14 times earnings, one and a half times tangible book. I mean, that, those aren't terrible. I will say that I'm a little bit uneasy about selling puts uh, going into the new year, I have to say, at, at this point in general. This is a good strategy and it's a good investment strategy consistently applied. Uh, I will say, though, that I'm a little anxious, I think, about the put sale. Uh, as the way to play it. It's rare dissent in options action, uh, Tony. So how would you address Mike's concerns about selling puts going to the new year? And Carter's assessment that basically he, you don't want to be long any financials in particular. Yeah, so the great thing about the short put is that you don't necessarily have to have a rise in banks in order to be profitable. Even if Bank of America stays here at this $44, $43 level, I'm still going to be profitable, making that 2.8% over the next 35 days. But to Carter's point, uh, but to Mike's point about selling puts in this current market environment, I understand, but that's why I'm doing it with this high implied volatility. I am getting paid for the risk that I'm taking. All right. Coming up, a flight path for jets that you might not expect. Captain Co. takes the yoke. And for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you are there, you can sign up for our newsletter. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Options Action. Christmas is just a week away and millions will be taking to the skies. So we thought it'd be a good time to lay out a trade on an airline ETF. We are flying straight into Mike's call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so we're taking a look at Jets, the uh, ETF that I should say by and large tracks the airlines because more than 50% of it is the airlines. You know, Warren Buffett was attributed with a quote once that said, be fearful when others are greedy. I don't think we could suggest that people are greedy in the Jets ETF right now, though. Obviously, we've had a lot of news recently, I think, that has hurt many of the constituent stocks in this ETF quite badly. 
And additionally, we've also had the companies themselves announcing some aggressive price cuts on ticketing going into the next year, basically reflecting uh, from an economic point of view the kinds of concerns that are being expressed about Omicron, for example. But a lot of these companies look quite cheap. If we actually take a look at many of these, uh, they're at lows that haven't been seen since the inception of the ETF, except for the trough that we saw after the outbreak of the pandemic beginning in March of 2020. The other thing I would quickly point out is that the options on this ETF, unsurprisingly, are quite expensive. So I was looking at a trade structure that is actually quite similar to the one that we were talking about for XLV, and that was the purchase of a February 21-23 call spread when I was looking at that earlier today. That would cost about 60 cents, a little bit more than 25% of the distance, the $2 distance between these strikes as a way to play for a potential bounce here. I, again, would have liked to have been able to sell some downside if I could, but as I pointed out uh, earlier in the show, I'm not really comfortable selling puts despite the fact that they are exceptionally expensive here. Carter, how did the charts look to you? Well, I think playing for a bounce is what makes sense. Let's look at three. The first, and this is the one to focus on, the first chart, it shows the ETF basically range bound, doing nothing for all of 18 and 19 on a market surging. And then you see it plunge there from 30 to 10. And notice it recovered right back to the level from which it plunged and hit its head. And now it's given back half of that move. So let's look at that up close. The next chart is the give back. Basically, we have in the past, what, 22%, 23% since the new COVID strain is hit, but we have something of a double bottom here. And so the final chart, I think uh, you can get a uh, dollar to two out of this. That's a nice trade for something that's trading at 20 thereabouts. Uh, play for a bounce. That's the thought. All right. So, Tony, what's your take on this all? Yeah, I completely, I could, I couldn't, compl I couldn't agree more. Um, the pullback here down to that $20 level, I think, is a great opportunity rather than risk, uh, a sign that there are risks further ahead. Because not only are, is this ETF more than 50% airlines, more importantly, about 60% of the airlines of, of the ETF are U.S. or North American airlines. And if you look at travel here in North America, it's pretty much back to pre-pandemic levels, uh, with, uh, unlike Europe, which is down about 20%, and Asia, which is down about 40%. So the exposures to this um, North American market from this ETF, I think is the important part of this. And that's why I think the 20% decline we've seen here over this month or so is that opportunity. And the call vertical spread that Mike is using, where he's limiting his losses to just 3% of the total ETS value, I think is really smart because you are kind of catching a falling knife here. This is a fairly speculative play and protection, I think, is more important than anything else. And the fact that he's able to get about a two to one, slightly more than that on this particular trade, if you do get that bounce, I think it's just the cherry on top. I mean, you got to watch all trades and, and manage them actively, Mike. But this one in particular feels like you, you really got to do it, considering we're getting more and more information on a daily basis about the spread of Omicron. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. And that's a, and that's why we're using a structure like this one, because there are still quite a lot of unknowns. If we get a bounce and, you know, it would actually take a decent bounce to get there. So it was trading just over 20 bucks, I think, as of the close. You know, the lower strike at 21 may not feel being only a dollar away or slightly less than that from the current stock price, like it's all that far. But of course, you know, we are still talking about a material percentage of the current stock price just to get to that break even. So if we do get a good size bounce, this is one where you probably want to take some profits. And this is definitely a trading type of a strategy, not an investment strategy.
Up next, we are going to take a look uh, back on one of Mike's biotech trades. Don't go anywhere. Much more options action right after this. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Action Time for a health check on a trade we laid out a few weeks ago. Back in October, Mike and Carter told us Amgen was looking so bad, it was good. One of the things that you do get when you try to buy a stock at the lower end of its historic valuation range is that you do give yourself a little bit of a downside buffer. Perhaps you're getting to a level where the stock really can't have a whole lot more damage done. I was looking out to December, the 205 225 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could spend about $6.95 for the 205s, sell the higher strike options for just under $1.20. Net net, you're going to spend about $5.75 or so to put this trade on. Amgen gaining 7.5% since then. The trade expired at the close tonight, but continues to evolve. Mike, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so, you know, we actually sent out a tweet about this a little bit before the close because this was a position that did expire today. Now, remember, we had a 205, 225 call spread on. What that means is that the 205 call spread that we were long, had you not taken profits, and it was, uh, they basically tripled the value of this position if you did take profits by the close. If you did not take profits, then the long call option that you held expired and would exercise automatically, meaning that when you open up your account on Monday, you're going to find that you're now long Amgen because the short call has expired out of the money. This is basically, from a profit loss perspective, the best thing that could happen. But if you didn't close it, you now have a very different looking position. Now, obviously, I'm still bullish in the space. Our XLV trade that we talked about at the beginning of the show is an indication of that. And Amgen, I would add, is a constituent of XLV. So that would be another way to basically stay long in the space. But being long the stock here has a very different risk profile. And I would actually prefer being long call spreads than being long the stock, I think, right now. Carter, um, what's your forecast for Amgen at this point? Well, in October, being down 27.7%, the thought was, hey, we can take advantage of the weakness and make a bet. The bet's been made, and I think the bet should continue. This is a small move in the context of what can be more upside. Okay. Up next, we got your tweets and the final call. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Options Action. Check out the move in Rivian today, dropping 10% on the back of earnings. And that leads to tonight's viewer questions. Here's our first tweet. How to best play Rivian, sell puts or buy a call spread for January 2022? Leaps. Tony, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, this is a really volatile one. Rivian is trading back near its uh, IPO opening price around $100. From my perspective, given the volatility, I think the best way is to use a call spread here. You can go out to January, look at the 100, 125 call spread, send about seven and a half bucks for that. You're risking about 7% of the stock's value uh, when it's near the support level to play for a bounce. But if it does break below, it's probably dropping significantly below that. So risking less than 7% of the stock's value is the way that I would go. I know that the uh, trading history is very short, Carter, but 
What can you tell from this chart, if anything? To, to, to stay away from it. <laughs> That's clear. <laughs> uh, with that said, Mike, how would you trade it? What are your thoughts here? Uh, you know, I mean, my, my play in the space is forward, frankly. And, of course, there's some exposure there. So uh, I think it's a more muted exposure, but that's the way I would play the space, I think. That's a nice way of saying stay away from it. Um, <laughs> let's get to our next question here. Um, big double bottom in Kraft Heinz around $33 with lots of overhead supply around 37 Options action caught the big move up in, in this name back in February. Is it time to go long Kraft Heinz again, even with the serious cream cheese shortage? <laughs> Carter, um, how do you like this one? Sure. Well, first, thanks for the plaudits back in February. It was a nice move. Uh, but more importantly, you are a, a chart watcher extraordinaire. You've characterized it perfectly. It is a double bottom. It has moved up to a level of overhead supply. It has filled that gap from November 7th. The question is, can it push into the overhead supply? And the thinking is, yes, I would play for about 38 here. And that's not bad relative to today's close at 35.50. Yeah. Mike, do you like this one? Uh, I do. And of course, you know, I mean, it's it's somewhat correlated, I would say, with one of the bets that we put on uh, just recently, sort of staply related. So uh, I do like it that way. I mean, it's consistent with what we've said for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Tony, your thoughts on uh, Kraft Heinz, a cream cheese shortage, you know, whatever it might be. (laughs) Yeah. Not sure about the cream cheese shortage, but I agree with Carter. This is a double bottom that is valid. Uh, but I do particularly think, you know, Staples right now is pretty defensive, and I think it's a good place to play for some upside. You know, apparent, because it's a week from Christmas, apparently there could be a cheesecake shortage because of this cream cheese. I mean, this is serious stuff. This is news you can use here. Plan ahead. Um, our next viewer asks, someone bought 5,000 uh, AMD calls at the 145 strike that expire in February with the Xilinx merger planning to close by the end of the year and several catalysts in January. How would you look at this name going into 2022? Mike, what do you tell Mike? Yeah, well, let's take a look at those calls. Those ones are very high premium. Those are about $10, more than 7% of the current stock price if you're trying to play for additional upside here. It would have to go up more than 12% for those to break even uh, by February expiration. So I think a better way to play this would actually be to take a look at a spread. Uh, The February 165 calls, for example, about $4.75, very nearly half the premium you would lay up for the 145s. So you would be cutting that premium in half, lowering your break-even, and offsetting a lot of the decay you'd otherwise experience. All right, time now for the final call. Carter Worth, what do you say? Healthcare, a place to be, XLV, the vehicle to do it. Tony Zhang. Play for a rise in interest rates with Bank of America, selling put options. Mike Coe. Call spreads. I don't want to be short puts. All right, we are off next Friday. We'll be back in the new year. So have a good one. Mad Money's up next. Welcome back to Options Action Time for a health check on a trade we laid out a few weeks ago. Back in October, Mike and Carter told us Amgen was looking so bad, it was good. One of the things that you do get when you try to buy a stock at the lower end of its historic valuation range is that you do give yourself a little bit of a downside buffer. Perhaps you're getting to a level where the stock really can't have a whole lot more damage done. I was looking out to December, the 205 
225 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could spend about $6.95 for the 205s, sell the higher strike options for just under $1.20. Net net, you're going to spend about 575 uh, or so to put this trade on. Amgen gaming, gaining 7.5% since then. The trade expired at the close tonight, but continues to evolve. Mike, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so, you know, we actually sent out a tweet about this a little bit before the close because this was a position that did expire today. Now, remember, we had a 205, 225 call spread on. What that means is that the 205 call spread that we were long, had you not taken profits, and it was, uh, they basically tripled the value of this position if you did take profits by the close. If you did not take profits, then the long call option that you held expired and would exercise automatically, meaning that when you open up your account on Monday, you're going to find that you're now long Amgen because the short call has expired out of the money. This is basically, from a profit loss perspective, the best thing that could happen. But if you didn't close it, you now have a very different looking position. Now, obviously, I'm still bullish in the space. Our XLV trade that we talked about at the beginning of the show is an indication of that. And Amgen, I would add, is a constituent of XLV. So mm -hmm. that would be another way to just basically stay long in the space. But being long the stock here has a very different risk profile. And I would actually prefer being long call spreads than being long the stock, I think, right now. Carter, uh, what's your forecast for Amgen at this point? Well, in October, being down 27.7%, the thought was, hey, we can take advantage of the weakness and make a bet. The bet's been made, and I think the bet should continue. This is a, a small move in the context of what can be more upside. Okay. Up next, we got your tweets and the final call. Stay tuned. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 930 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.